key lecture, foul whisperings, madness and poetry in Arabic literary history. Khiat Jan van Gelder is the Lordian Professor of Arabic at the Oriental Institute, University of Oxford. His first respondent is Dr. Neil Burton, psychiatrist, philosopher and the author of several books, including The Meaning of Madness. The second respondent is Dr. Catherine Angel, Wellcome Trust postdoctoral fellow in the history of medicine at Warwick. She's particularly interested in the modern history of female sexual problems in American and British psychiatry. I have a short version of my paper, the original one is far too long, so I hope I will be uh, not much longer than okay, 25, 30 minutes. <coughs> well, um, the associ association of poets and madmen is old and respectable, going back at least as far as Plato, who distinguished four kinds of mad people, prophets, mystics, lovers and poets. Aristotle seems to agree on to some extent when he says, when he says that, I quote, poetry demands a man with a special gift for it, or else one with a touch of madness in him. Um, and in popular received ideas, the association remained. One's familiar with the saying in A Midsummer Night's Dream that the lunatic, the lover, and the poet are of imagination all compact. But one should, of course, not conclude from this that the poet is by definition a madman of sorts. Plato clearly distinguished between them. They are inspired in different ways by different things. And if poetic inspiration is a kind of madness, this does not mean that the poetry is mad, for instance. On the contrary, this form of madness is the normal prerequisite for normal poetry. Notoriously, the Quran, in a much-discussed passage, also joins the poets with madmen, or at least with erratic behavior. I quote, And there are the poets who are followed by those who go astray. Have you not seen how they wander in every valley and how they say what they do not do? In Arabic literature, the various categories, madman, mystic, prophet, and lover, seem to be closely connected. The prophet Muhammad was a great and innovative poet, if one is prepared to reject the Muslim dogma that the Quran is God's literal word, and that the Arabic critical consensus is wrong in saying that classical poetry must be metrical. In any case, uh, he had to, the prophet had to defend himself against his opponents by denying that he was either mad or a poet. 
Sometimes two or more of the four categories coincide. Nowhere more famously than in the poet called Al-Majnun, he was mentioned before, Qaisat ibn Mulawah, called the madman of Layla, Layla's lunatic. The lover, madman, and poet who is the subject of the most famous love story in Arabic. He's a very shadowy figure, historically, and even the ancient Arabic critics thought it is possible that he never existed. But his fictional persona is a strong presence, and the poetry ascribed to him has always been popular. His madness was caused by thwarted love, not by a mental illness or other extraneous uh, afflictions apart from his ill luck in amorous affairs. His poetry is, by Arabic standards, as normal as could be. <clears throat> as for his behavior, we are told that he lost his mind, he went around naked, a common topic, playing with the sand, roaming in the desert wi with wild animals, not answering people's questions, crying and fainting often, refusing to eat. His behavior may actually have been aggressive, probably auto-destructively so, directed at himself, for we are told that his, that his family tied him up, releasing him when he started biting his tongue and lips. He grabs living embers, seemingly insensible to pain, and that sort of thing. His be behavior is fairly similar to that of other ill-fated Bedouin lovers. Urwa ibn Hezam, who likewise died of his passion, is also prone to absent-mindedness and fainting. He does not eat and is taken to soothsayers with medical skills, but to no avail. He himself denies being mad. When asked whether he suffers from madness or from being possessed by jinn, uh, being majnoon, he replies in verse, I'm not mad, I have no jinn inside me. Some people actually denied that al-majnoon himself was a majnoon, a mad. Uh, someone says, he was not mad or possessed, uh, just a bit deranged, like Abu Hayya al-Numayr, similar, it's a bit, a bit funny. <coughs> but the poet is not a normal <coughs> madman, to be clear. In Michael Dolce's um, masterful study of madness in pre-modern Islam, I brought my copy, a heavy tome, uh, there is some mention of uh, the uh, furor poeticus, uh, poetic frenzy or madness, but there's no special section on it. He has a section on majnoon, but it's not just about, about poetry, it's about love. He briefly discusses Arab ideas about poetic inspiration by demons or jinns, uh, a widespread idea that's still mentioned in Islamic times, though hardly seriously, more in the vein of Western poets claiming inspiration by the muses. And the legend, as I said, of Majnun is discussed in some detail in the chapter The Romantic Fool, he calls it, or, or mad lovers rather than mad poets. He also mentions some reports about madmen who made poetry, stories from uh, an Anissa Buri's book, an 11th century book on uh, wise fools, wise madmen, Majanin, plural of Majnun, and who are also uh, Okala, uh, wise men. So um, Dolls quotes from that and from other sources. But here I shall not deal with those mad lover poets, but concentrate on some other mad poets, not discussed by Dolls and hardly by anyone else, as far as I know. <coughs> and I'm afraid that the uh, poets also lived considerably before Saladin and his time. One of the earliest books on Arabic poets was written by Abdallah ibn Mu'taz, the Abbasid prince, poet, and critic, who was sadly killed one day after having been put on the caliphal throne in 908. His book on modern poets, edited several times, this is my copy, uh, has entries of varying length on some 135 poets of the early Abbasid period. Abbasid period means from 750 to, well, to his day, of course, 908. Um, and uh, he lists four minor poets in four consecutive short entries, all of whom are called or described as al-Muwaswis or al-Majnun. I'll come back to this term. None of them, none of them is a common or garden, um, common or garden lover, madman kind of poet. 
Here we seem to have the real thing. They are Ju'ayfiran al-Muwaswis, Mani al-Muwaswis, or Mani al-Majnoon, Abu Hayyan al-Muwaswis, and Mus'ab al-Muwaswis. I shall briefly discuss them separately after a brief excursus on the word Muwaswis. We have been talking about the precise use of terms and what they mean. That's important. I left out lots of philological detail, <coughs> which are in my notes. This term Muwaswis is not discussed or even mentioned by Dawes. Uh, he has a, something on the, a related term, Waswas, which I'll come to. It's an interesting term, Muwaswis, because it's a participle, if you, if, you will, if you will know if you know Arabic, it starts with Mu, most things with Mu are a participle, of the verb Waswasa and the noun Waswas. Um, the latter, with plural Wasawis, also has been mentioned before, is a common term for forms of madness associated with the surface of black bile, melancholy, that, that's before in the hear we'll more from you, I'm sure, uh, in the old sense. So Hans Wehr, in his useful dictionary, and he, uh, because it's useful, has so many synonyms, he lists the various possible English translations of Waswas. I quote, devilish insinuation, temptation, wicked thoughts, doubt, misgiving, suspicion, delusion, important, fixed idea, uneasiness, anxiety, concern, melancholy, and my colleague Clive Holtz assures me that in modern Arabic it often means hypochondria, none of which is specifically modern, by the way. It's a modern Arabic dictionary, but all these senses are old, for modern, most of them. And the old dictionaries gloss Weswesa and Wesswes as an obscure sound, for instance, a rustling of the wind, the tinkling of jewellery, or the whispering of a hunter. It also means, they say, hadith nafs, the soul's talk, which one could inter interpret as the inner voice, especially if this voice intimates dubious things. And of course, it's already found in the Quran. God knows what a human, be a human being's soul whispers to himself. Same root, waswasa. And in the Quran too, Satan, the shaitan, is said to be a whisperer. He whispers to, to Adam and to people in general. And in a splendidly onomatopoeic, poeic, uh, how to pronounce this, verse, which happens to be the last in the Quran, it's said of the devil that, it's a wonderful verse, he whispers in people's breasts. And there, the devil himself is called Elwes-Wes, the whisperer. Now, why is the word Muweswis interesting and applied to a person? When I first saw Mani el Muweswis, or Ju'ai Firan el Muweswis, in Sezgin's volumes on Arabic, Poets, uh, I thought it was a mistake because surely it should be a passive, not muwes but muwes someone who is bewhispered rather than whispering. Um, the madman hears voices seemingly coming from elsewhere or someone else. But no, the lexicographers state explicitly that one uses the active form muwes for someone dom dominated by weswasa or afflicted with inner voices <coughs> because he talks in whispers to himself, apparently, or to his soul. Yet the passive is used in verbal forms. You say, you not say, the people uh, were whispered to. Um, that's a tradition going back to the Caliph Osman, apparently. In short, it looks as if the lexicographers cannot make up their mind whether the inner voice or whispering represents the self or not. And one wonders if the whisperings are sometimes audible to others, as if the sufferer mutters in his delusions rather than merely hears them as an inner voice. The Arabic language is probably not exceptional in having an extensive vocabulary of words relating to madness. We talk about words for love, but madness is also a has a prodigious number. It's the Alibi, lexicographer in the 11th century, who in his lexicographic treatise, Fiqh al likes to grade near synonyms, has a short section on words for mad, using majnoon as the general term. <coughs> and he classifies the condition of the muweswis as the lightest form of madness. And there follow 
in shades of increasing lunacy, several other words that are still passive participles, a mamrur, someone who's affected by a mirra sauda, the black bile, um, malmum, someone who's approached or visited by a demon, I suppose, mamsus, touched, that's a common concept, of course, the ma'aluk, likely stabbed, according to the dictionary, I don't know what that means, or the, the ma'alus, cheated, um, some of you, no, it's a ma'alus, rather obscure words. And many more words are listed by Anisa Buri, uh, author <coughs> of this uh, wise fool book, but he doesn't sharply distinguish between madness and stupidity, so that makes it more mm-hmm. difficult. In fact, normal people would have difficulty in making that distinction between stupidity, honk, and uh, madness, junoon. <coughs> Well, let's start with number one, Abu Fadl Du'ay Firan, which means a little Ja'far. Uh, Ibn Ali, Ibn Asfar, Ibn Sareh, Ibn Abu Rahman, Ibn Nawi, nicknamed Al Muwaswiz, who lived in the first half of the ninth century. So he's mentioned by uh, his contemporary, Al Jahid, among mad poets in a chapter on stupid people. Again, mad and stupid uh, overlap. And um, he quotes two lines by him that refer to his condition. That's number one on my handout. I won't read the Arabic and I won't read all the English. In some cases, I try to make a rhymed translation, as you can see here. Uh, um, but I re- refer you to the word ham, which comes all the time. Uh, and then and the next line, which is the plural of ham. So worry returned and wrestled. But all worry ends with your relief. Spell your worries, ham, everywhere. Um, it's often conjoined with ham. In fact, in modern Arabic, ham and ram often go together. But whereas the latter, ram, is about the past, it's sorrowing, something has happened, ham is worrying about the future. In fact, uh, Ibn Dawud al-Antaki makes this useful distinction, Patrick told us. It is a close connection, a uh, close companion of um, Waswasa. There is a passage by Tanuki in the 10th century, quoted by Michael Gold, uh, about a madman, uh, Rajul Muweswis, called Al-Hassan ibn Aoun, who was confined for treatment in a hospital in Bas- Basra, and he was found to be a poet by a visitor. And then this madman says in a poem, that's number two, and that's not my translation, but the old rhyming translation by Magoriu. <coughs> but I won't read it here, it rhymes nicely. But um, although it's a good translation, it masks the threefold appearance of ham again. You see it in the Arabic transliteration. In the first line, Udaf or Hamni. I drive off my, my worry. And um, <coughs> comes back in line three. And, um, not, uh, well, I can't remember where. So again, uh, Hamas, close companion <coughs> of Waswasa. Um, the visitor remarks that he learned about the condition of this man by hearing a poem from him every day composed in his presence. The story says nothing about treatment in this case, but, and Dawes doesn't say so, but I believe that composing verse may have helped, for we are told that a man was cured of his depression or melancholy after some years. Back to Ja'i Firan, he speaks of worries in another verse, that's number three. Worries keep me awake while you are worry-free upon my life. You are by worries kept awake. So you're worried by the word worries. I mean, it's always all over the place. Um, And in fact, the preceding line makes clear, I didn't quote it, that these worries are the result of thwarted love again. The humum are those described by countless lover poets. But it appears that his mental troubles, of Juhay Peran, were caused by something other than love. He is called an educated man and a natural poet of refined behavior, sweet of verse, by one source that he was dominated by melancholy to the extent that he was deranged most of the time. But whenever his senses returned to him, he would make good poetry. In the 10th century, Abul Faraj, Khalis Fahani, the great uh, compiler, tells us about the cause of his illness. 
He had an affair with a concubine of his father's. It's a bad thing, of course, especially in the, in the Arab surroundings. And um, he was banished from his home and dis disinherited by, his, by the left, by the father. And after the father's death, there is a wrangle about inheritance. The parties go to court, and the verdict goes against Jai Ferran. And since that day, his mind is deranged, understandably. Um, some of his verses describe his condition, number four. Uh, again, uh, it's... Uh, they say of me, they lied or heard, I'm mad and have lost my mind. All lies and ignorance absurd, how mean of them, and so unkind. He is seen in his house, walking in circles all night, suffering from, again, melancholy, saying more verses. And he uses the motifs of love poetry, the nocturnal phantom, the sleeplessness, but here obviously used for his illness rather than for the beloved. That's number five. The phantom whispering, uh, that's straight from love poetry, but this is, not, this is not love. This is love of money, perhaps, but uh, his inheritance. <coughs> So he repeats these lines, we are told, until in the morning he falls down like a withered plant. And he is seen walking naked in the street, followed by children who shout, Jaiferan, piece of shit in the house. Yeah, they like that sort of thing. And in another poem, that's number four, number six, he uh, tells a friend that he is not mad. I see the people call me mad the way I am. But I'm not possessed today. I've no disturbing whispering. They only say this thing because I'm poor and destitute. If I were wealthy well-to-do and lived in comfort, they, they think I was sound in mind, and so on. The point of quoting all these anecdotes in, in the sources is to show his wit. It, he is uh, well represented in this book by uh, Nisa Bouri. In one report, he is said to be capable of, capable of making wicked lampoons. Nobody was safe from him to the extent of making a lampoon on himself upon seeing his much-altered countenance reflected in the water of a bowl. In fact, his epigram is as much against his father as against himself, and one may connect it with the conflict described above. He's having this little revenge. That's number seven. Um, where are we? Also, I translate it in, in rhyme. Jafar is his himself. Jafran is this of Jafar. Jafar is not his father's son. No similarity. He's many people's son. All claim paternity. My son, says one. Another that he's rather his. The mother laughs, but she knows who the father is. So he was an ordinary poet in making ordinary lampoons. Two of Ibn Mortez's four bewhispered poets are only known from his, uh, his work, the Tabaqat, the book about poets, Abu Hayyan and Mus'ab. The madness of the former showed itself in a particular, well, peculiar, we call that repetitive behavior syndrome or something, or compulsion. Ibn Mortez, uh, or at least his informant, tells about him, I quote, I saw Abu Hayyan and Muwaswis after he had arrived in Baghdad, coming from Basra. He had only one concern, to buy a large jar from a place called Madara or something. He went to the Tigris, the river, and filled it. Then he went to the Sarah Canal and emptied it there. Then he carried water from the Sarah Canal and poured it into the Tigris. He kept this during the length of his days in Baghdad until he died. He did not have any employment or a job except, except this. When it got dark at night, he would put a jar down and sit crying over it, saying, Oh God, give me relief and lighten for me this work I'm doing. And to another one who saw him thus employed, he confided, If I didn't do this, I would die. Ibn Mu'taz adds that Abu Hayyan became Muwaswis only towards the end of his life, and his speech became confused. But in poetry, however, he was not affected by this at all. 
And that's uh, and then Ibn Waqtas adds, thus it is with those poets who become deranged after having made poetry before, their normal speech is strongly affected, but when they turn to verse, they will proceed at will in the way they were accustomed before suffering from delusions. And I should add that um, an, an enormous, enormous number of the madmen described in this book, they uh, answer in verse. I suppose verse is the medium for, for madmen in Arabic literature, and perhaps not only there. Uh, so we are back to Plato and madmen and poetry. Um, one piece only by Abu Hayyan is um, quoted by Ibn Wattah. Seven lines of Bakik verse in the style of Abu Nuwas, the great wine poet, the last line of which shows that pouring water was in fact not his only concern. Then he poured into the cup a limpid wine and so on. No cause is suggested <coughs> for Abu Hayyan's behavior. As for the fourth, the fourth one, Musa'ab, we are informed of what made him mad. In Baghdad, where he lived, he once saw the, the eye of a sheep behind the lattice of a small shop window and thought it was a girl's eye. Mm -hmm. It was love at first sight, and he stayed <laughs> near the shop for a month. Whenever he felt nobody could hear him, he would speak to the sheep and cry, throwing a perfumed inscribed apple to it or other fruits, or a kerchief and other things. One day the lattice broke, and the awful truth dawned upon him. <laughs> Young children who, learnt, who learned about it used to shout, You lover, E W E which angered him, and that was the cause of his madness. Ibn Mu'attah says that he made much good poetry, but only two epigrams, seven, in, seven lines in all are quoted, one on seducing a boy with wine, and the other on Khabisa as sweet. Of the four mad poets in Ibn Mu'attah's tabakat work, Mani al-Majnoon, or Mani al-Muwaswis, is perhaps the most famous. Born in Egypt, he moved to Baghdad during the reign of al-Mutawakkil, who reigned from 846 47 to 861, and he died, his poet died in 859. His real name was Abul Hassan, Muhammad ibn Qasim. It's not explained why he was nicknamed Mani after the famous or notorious founder of Manichaeism, who lived centuries earlier. Or perhaps, perhaps it means the Manic. No one says this, but of course Mania, the word Mania, was known, as uh, this morning was mentioned in some sources, but it's not very common in, in ordinary areas. Uh, I think only in it's a medical treatises, so I wonder, Mani, strange. Um, he is described as a poet of delicate love lyrics with a good reciting voice, and some of his verses quite charming. He was in love with a girl called Manusa or Banusa, we don't know, and in one report he says he's desperately in love with a beautiful boy. So it's not just the mono uh, love that you find, uh, uh, love for one person you find with the, the true uh, lovesick persons. Perhaps his madness was the result of thwarted passion for one or the other. In one poem made during a shower of rain, he exclaims pathetically, fallaciously, do not think it is rain, that's number eight, do not think it's rain pouring down from the skies, it is nothing but tears dropping down from my eyes. All these clouds that succeed one, one another in flurries, they are made of my thoughts when I think of my worries. Back to Humum. Thus it is with the state of all those who discover a change for the worse in the love of their lover. I just showed a Swinburnian meter for this. Um, some specimens of his eccentric behavior are told in anecdotes. Once he sapped a bald head, a bald head of a muezzin because he, he did not like the way he performed the call to prayer. And he seemed to eat date stones with dates, dates with stones and all because he had, to, had paid for them. That shows out more like a joke. He was seen, again, naked, holding a sugar cane or reed in Baghdad, repeating two verses. From one street to another is her course, just as a bride is fleeing from divorce, which is rather odd. Um, and then when asked from who he was talking about, he said, the she-camel. Now, this is really mad, I think. Uh, when, a, and, um, when a camel driver appeared, he followed the camels for a while and then returned. 
This he would do for a whole day. And the verses are quite bizarre, unlike most of his other poetry. For the image of a bride fleeing from divorce is odd enough in itself, let alone when used figuratively for a camel. And the sugar cane he was holding was surely held by him between his legs, because, as Shmuel Moreh has shown, the word kasaba is an old term for hobby horse, uh, used by entertainers, buffoons, and Sufi mendicants pretending to be fools. <coughs> Among the poetry by Manny, there's one other piece quoted with, without context that strikes me as unusual. It's a kind of amusing lampoon rather than evidence of madness. That's number 10. Um, I won't read it here for the sake of time. He refers to his ignorance and stupidity, but not to his madness. So mild self-mockery is put to the surface of biting invective here. None of this poetry reviewed here had major status. Um, perhaps Abu Hayya al-Numayr, whom I mentioned briefly in the 8th century, uh, is the most important of them. Um, but he is not described as a raving lunatic, more as a somewhat deranged person, possibly an epileptic. He was a notorious liar, a coward, and a miser. But his poetry is all very normal and highly praised. He's called, called a good poet of the first rank by one, and someone else with a customary exaggeration as the maddest of people and the best of poets. One must conclude, perhaps with some disappointment, that in Arabic literary, literary history there are no mad poets whose poetry is truly, deeply mad, such as in English literature, the poems of the 18th century, Christopher Smart, for instance. Uh, you'll see him later on the handout. William Blake, a greater poet, was also as mad as a hatter in some respects, both in his mind and in some of his writings, but he's rather a special case. The Arabic mad poets are perhaps rather like John Clare or William Collins, I don't know if you've heard of him, who suffer from delusions of severe melancholia, but whose poetry is not insane. It appears from the accounts on poets and their various kinds of madness, or there are many kinds, of course, um, that if their behavior and everyday utterances may show signs of ma madness, this is not seen in their poetry, which is normal by the usual standards. Even when they describe their own state, which is a rare event, their poetry is not mad, and with the insistent use of the word hum or humum, worry or worries, it could be mistaken as being part of the normal discourse of the lovesick, were it not for the absence of references to a beloved. This is not to suggest that there is no Arabic poetry that could be described as mad or insane. These qualifications are, of course, uh, hardly more than impressions and subjective. What makes poetry mad is that the ideas expressed in them, or the formal aspects, the language, the style, the prosody, it's difficult, indeed impossible, to distinguish the mad from the willfully and intentionally nonsensical. Uh, a few poems by the early Abbasid al-Fadl ibn Hashim are formally impeccable, but their content is decidedly odd. He describes himself as a coprophiliac or coprophagist. Well, shit lover would be the normal English, uh, or shit, ate, shit eater in plain English. Was he mad? Ibn Jarrah, an early critic, calls him silly, debauched, and profligate. And the poet says of himself, that's number 11, I am a madman pure. My stupidity is not hidden. Each day my madness increases with one letter. With one letter. Um, and then these lines open a self-deprecating introduction that suddenly turns into a panegyric of the Caliph al-Wathiq, the same man who was uh, in the fictional story by Beckford. Do you know Wathiq? Mm -hmm. Anyhow, that's uh, <coughs> the same man. Um, one doubts if the poet is to be taken seriously in, in, a, in a praise poem for the Caliph. I think the Caliph thought it was a good joke. If a madman says he is mad, he cannot be very mad. It's a classical catch-22 situation. The more so when he is a poet, because the Quran says about poets, they say what they do not do. And indeed, when our poet is taken at his word by the caliph and challenged 
to eat some dirty things that he excuses that he mentions, and he excuses himself in verse, that's number 12. Though I may say strange things in speech and verse, I do not do what I assert. How could I possibly eat blood and pus, or worms and lice for my dessert? By God, I die whenever my eye looks at such things, so how could, eat I, could I eat dirt? In another essay, I've discussed and quoted examples of what we call, could be called nonsense verse. Uh, it's not published yet, but will be soon, I hope. Um, some of it may have been meant seriously, made by a madman, um, as perhaps number 13, um, line th number 13, that's uh, peculiar Arabic. لَوْ كُنْتُ كُنْتُ كَتَمْتُ حُبَّ كُنْتُ كَمَا كُنَّ نَكُونَ وَلَكِنْ ذَاكَ لَمْ يَكُنِي You can almost hear it's mad. Uh, my translation is, is Paul Adash. Uh, if I had been having been hiding my love, I would have been like we were being to be, but that was not to be. Something like that. Um, manic repetition is found in some verses that were either made by a maniac or by a buffoon. Such are the lines in a lengthy pastiche of uncertain time and unknown authorship attributed to the pre-Islamic poetry Imrul Qais, but obviously not by him. Uh, it gets normally, but then lapses into logoria, which is virtually untranslatable. I tried a few lines in example 14. The first halves of the lines quoted below, quoted there, are like an exercise for the tongue and the mouth, an atonal prelude that suddenly turns into some kind of sense in the second hemistic, which are about a woman called Salma. And you should hear it in Arabic. And it's uh, and so on. The next bit is normal. And the last lines. Uh, it's not even in the dictionaries. So uh, you will forgive me if I have not completed my translation there. <laughs> if this is not madness, I don't know what is. But the poet was probably not insane at all. Another kind of poetry that I would describe as mad, and uh, come to one of my holy horses, uh, is found in mystical verse. One has to concur with Plato that mystics are one kind of mad people. Their verse is often conventional, Think of all the lovers of the Bacchic pieces, or the Bacchic pieces that should be interpreted in a mystical sense. But occasionally, it's very unconventional. And I gave in number 15, 15 uh, two verses um, difficult to translate by the early Sufi mystic Sunnun, who died in 9:11 or 9:10. It's number 15, mystic, lover of God, poet, and madman. At least according to Nisa Bui, who includes him amongst the wise madmen, and who quoted these lines. Um, well, it's a punning line. I'm amazed by the overturning of a heart that I overturned and which turned into a heart. He who sees the overturning of a heart in his heart increases in love. Um, perhaps it makes sense, but I don't know what he's saying. Perhaps that he's completely uprooting himself and that you attain, thereby attain greater love of God. It's based on paranomasia, on wordplay and repetition. The word kalb means heart, but also overturning. Um, well, if one overturns something that has been overturned, it turns into itself again, I would say. So the amazement in the first line seems misplaced. But ordinary logic does not work here, of course. And a similar cumulation of paranomasia is found in the next verse, 16. My separation has separated for me by my separation. Now I am separated from the separation of my separation. English doesn't sound very nice, but Arabic is quite nice. It's beautiful, but I don't know what it means. Um, I suppose one has to be a mystic to understand this, if there's anything to be understood at all. Uh, and then, of course, the great Ibn Arabi, the mystic um, uh, 
writer and poet from the 13th century, very popular these days. Um, some of his poetry is extremely normal, but this here is a few lines from a poem. He says, it's made in the spirit or on the spirit of Idris, um, a mysterious prophet who has been identified as Enoch, uh, or perhaps a with a mixture of Ezra and Elijah and Andreas and Hermes and Al-Khidr and others. I slept with my eyelids, did not sleep in the morning, and I wondered, this number, oh no, it's not in my handout, I think. I slept with my eyelids, did not sleep in the morning, and I wandered without being in the desert, uh, away from jinn and people. O soul, this is the truth whose existence has appeared, so beware of denying it, O soul, O my soul. Therefore search me in me, and you will find me in I, I in I, I am I in I myself. Well, the final verse is often in several ways, not least grammatically and syntactically. And I have no idea what searching me in me means, beyond the superficial tautology. But then I'm not mystically inclined, as you will have guessed. Other poems are normal in terms of formal grammar and syntax, but manic stylistically in their repetitiveness, such as a poem that's number 18, that contains 13 consecutive lines with 26 instances of the pattern of min ex ila i, from x to my i, where x and i are mostly, but not consistently, antonyms, opposite terms. So, well, you can read it in number 18, from my this to that. Ah. To me, this is higher math <coughs> with some method in it. Somehow it reminds me of the mad but great verse of Christopher Smart, who died in 1771, who wrote his best-known poem in a lunatic asylum. His verse is very different from Ibn Arabi's, but it also has a touch of the sublime mixed with the ridiculous, and it has the same manic syntactical repetition, such as the famous passage about his cat, Cat Jeffrey. Uh, I won't read it, it's uh, 19. It goes on and on and on with lines of four this, four years, just as in the passage uh, at the end, for the word of God is a sword on my side. I especially like the line, for I bless God the postmaster general and all conveyances of letters under his care, especially Alan Shelter. Wonderful. Is it, is it nonsense? Yes, it is nonsense. No, it's a ve not very helpful comment of Michael Schmidt, who uh, wrote a book on English poets. Um, I have no such qualms. It is nonsense, but sublime parts. And the poem on Jeffrey is a true magnific cat, with wonderful <laughs> description of cat behavior. When critics accused Smart's poems of incoherence, he argued that, if anything, their fault was excessive regularity and method. The troubles of our Arabic mad poets may have been caused by demonic or satanic foul whisperings, I borrow the expression of Lady Macbeth, uh, or rather her doctor, but they are neither notorious for their unnatural deeds nor for utterly mad verse. Occasionally their poems would count rather as fool's whisperings. Uh, most of them are as sane as could be. Thank you very much. Yes.